Welcome to the third message in a series on 50 Days of Transformation. We've already, a couple of weeks ago, talked about spiritual transformation. Then last week, about physical trans- transformation, physical health. Today, we're going to talk about mental health, mental trans- for, uh, transformation with some fear and trembling, not only because I can't say the word evidently, but because I know that um, I know there are organic causes to all kinds of issues that affect us mentally. I know there can be chemical imbalances. I know there can be injury. I know there can be uh, uh, DNA situations. There can be um, disease or trauma. And some of them uh, will be because of physical issues. Some of them will be because of um, maybe, maybe the spiritual issues. And that's just what I want you to think about today. Sometimes um, issues that we have mentally can have roots in our spiritual health. And so I want to talk to you about mental health today. And, and our theme for this whole transformation series is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And we told you the word transform there is the Greek word which we get our English word metamorphos from. Metamorphos, and on your bulletin, Darian has put some really cool caterpillars and butterflies. And metamorphosis is what transforms a little caterpillar through by way of a cocoon and God's way of designing that caterpillar to where it comes out as a beautiful butterfly. So God wants you to change physically, God wants you to change spiritually, and God wants us to change mentally. So why is changing the way we think so very important? And here's some reasons. Because our thoughts control our lives. Our thoughts control what we think about controls our lives. The ancestor, I told you last week, of every action is a thought. It begins as a thought. It may not be something we thought about really well. It may not be something we considered uh, with wisdom and, and appropriateness and so on, but we think about it, and whether it's robbing at a, a, a bank or whether it's uh, deciding we're going to go to Utah for a couple of days, or what, I mean, we think about it, and we think about it first. And so in thinking about it, then it results in actions. Um, uh, sometimes marriages break up because, uh, because people think the grass is greener on the other side. If, if somehow or another I could find someone else, then that would be so much better. I'm going to tell you right now, that is generally not the case. Uh, and I'm telling you, there are scriptural reasons for divorce, but there are also a lot of reasons why we should not um, seek divorce, but rather seek working things out and, and making the home what God wants it to be. So, so as, when I counsel people who are going to get married, I've got a wedding coming up in December. When I sit down and counsel with them, I will tell them, don't joke about divorce. Don't, don't, be, don't talk about divorce. Don't say, you know, in a laughing way, well, if you don't straighten up, honey, I'm going to go home to mommy, ha, ha, ha. And, you know, then he laughs, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that's right. Because what is said in a joking way might actually uh, become serious a little bit later on. So don't sow seeds of discord and seeds of problem uh, in that. The things you think about are things that are going to happen. Look. Uh, if you never think about harming someone or harming yourself, you're not going to do it. 
If you don't think about it, you're not going to do it. So don't allow those kind of thoughts. Those are, those are checkerboard squares that are occupied by the enemy, and he is getting an advantage over you. And the more squares he can occupy, the more of an advantage that he has over you. So if you don't think about something first, it won't happen. Proverbs 4.23 says, this is the wisest man who ever, who ever lived on the earth, at least to that point. He said, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So the first thing is, our thoughts control our lives. Second thing is, my mind is a battleground for sin. It's where temptation begins. In Romans 7, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, Paul said, but there's something else deep within me that is, listen to this, at war with my mind. There's something deep within me that's... My mind wants to obey Christ. My mind wants to obey God. But there's something deep inside of me that's in war, at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me, listen to this, slave to sin. In my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So why is changing the way we think so important? Because first of all, thoughts control our lives. Secondly, the mind is a battleground for sin. Thirdly, my mind is the key to peace and joy. The key to peace and joy, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, Paul said, and he was in a prison when he said that. He was in jail. He said, be filled with joy, and again I say, be filled with joy. He's about to be executed. He's in jail, but he has an attitude of joy and thankfulness in all things. And and so the key to peace and joy is in our minds. An out-of-control mind leads to tension and pressure and conflict and chaos and stress, but a managed mind leads to tranquility and peace and confidence and strength and serenity. And Philippians chapter 4 is one of the best chapters to meditate on when you feel your mind is stressed out, when you feel your mind's being pulled in 14 different directions, when you feel like you're about to lose it, get in Philippians chapter 4, meditate on Philippians chapter 4. Paul said this also in Romans 8, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. So there are three choices you make today for a healthy mind. Three different choices in your outline. First one is feed your mind with truth. Pilate said, what is truth? I hold it in my hands right here. What is truth? The word of God is truth. Well, preacher, people don't believe that today. Well, they didn't believe it back then either. They didn't believe it 2,000 years ago either. It didn't change the fact it's truth. Thy word is truth. The truth, Jesus said in John 8, 32, will set you free. The truth will set you free. We'll be the best leaders we can be, the best parents we can be, the best husband or wife we can be when we make the best decisions we can make based on the best information we can get guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And the best information you're going to get is right here. It's not in some handbook on how to be happy, you know, though in the Navy or something like that. You know, it, you're not going to, it's, it's right here. <clears throat> you can be anywhere, any, any kind of circumstance. I mean, any kind. And I know some of you sitting out there thinking, no, it's not, you, you don't know my circumstance. You know what? God can give us a peace and a joy when we feed upon the truth that, that only he can give, that we can only have through him. People need more, Jesus said, than bread for their lives. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
So we feed on the Word of God. We eat it. We assimilate it. Ezekiel took a scroll and actually ate it, and it was sweet until it got inside of his belly. Uh, but we, we are to take the Word of God and consume it, not with our not ripping out a page and eating a page at a time, but by reading, reading a verse at a time, a chapter at a time, a book at a time. We need the Word of God. The Bible is soul food, real soul food. Uh, it's the owner's manual for your life. So are you reading it? Are you getting into it? Do you, do, you, do you wonder what in the world to do and life is falling apart and you don't know what to do? Are you in the Word of God? Because I will promise you if you get in the Word of God, you'll figure out what you need to do. Feed on the Word of God all the time. The psalmist said, I will rise early to cry out for help and to put my hope in your words. Someone, I didn't, someone counted all the promises in the Word of God. They said there are 7,000 promises. Now, I find it hard to believe there are exactly 7,000 promises in the Word of God, but I'm not really going to spend a lot of time checking that statistic out. Suffice it to say, there are thousands of promises in the Word of God, and we're to, we're to put hope in those promises, but how can you put hope in a promise if you don't have that promise, if you don't know about that promise? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Something special about our relationship with God, that that, that, that home going for a child of God is precious to, to God. If you don't know that, that truth, there's no comfort in it. First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. What's going to happen one day to those loved ones who are in the grave right now? It tells us all about that. If you don't know about those promises, it doesn't do you any good, even though they exist and they're in the Bible. So you got to get the, word, the promises out of the Word of God into your heart, into your brain, into your mind. Even in the darkest of nights, Psalm 16, 7, your teachings fill my mind. And David wrote this when he was fleeing for his very life, for absolutely having done nothing wrong other than being loyal to King Saul. And it looked like his whole world was going to come to an end. <clears throat> and then even in that time, he made time for the Word of God because he said, in the darkest of night, your teachings fill my mind. Psalm 119.95 says, when wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. Is that our reaction to crisis? When we feel threatened or in danger, do we immediately go to the Word of God and, and snatch out promises that give us courage and strength, and hope, and help? Or do we run? Feed our minds with truth. Secondly, second thing we need to do is free our mind from destructive thoughts. There are destructive thoughts. There are self-destructive thoughts. Our minds must be liberated, delivered, released, and protected from destructive thoughts. And that's hard work. It's not easy. It's not easy to get rid of vain imaginations. It's not easy, rather, to tear down strongholds. It's not easy to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. But it is possible, and it's important to do. There are three enemies battling in our minds and for our minds. One of them lives within us. It's our old nature. Because when we get saved, we're not instantaneously glorified, and we're not instantaneously like Jesus Christ. We still say, do, and think things that we shouldn't say, do, or think. 
We battle with ourselves because we're not completely sanctified yet. Our old nature hasn't been eradicated yet. It will be one day. One day I won't ever have a bad thought. One day I won't ever say a bad word. One day I won't ever do anything that's displeasing to God because my old sin nature will be eradicated, but our old nature still is here, and it's not our friend. And if we listen to it, we find ourselves doing and thinking things that we don't need to be doing and thinking. Paul, again, said those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So we wrestle with our old nature. I'll tell you how ridiculous it is. I'll give you a ridiculous illustration, rather. It's like if you take a dead body with you everywhere you go. You get up in the morning and you, you take this dead body and load it into the shower and give it a shower. You pull it out, you dress it, you take it, drag it down to the breakfast table, you set it up in a chair, you try to feed it breakfast, a dead body. How silly is that? You drag it out to the car, put it in the car, take it to work with you. You try to get it to make phone calls or do some kind of meaningful. A dead body's not going to do it. And folks, we listen to our dead nature too much of the time. We try to feed our dead nature. We try to take our dead nature with us everywhere we go. And we shouldn't. That old nature haunts us. Halloween coming up. The scary thing is our old nature. That's a scary thing. Second enemy we have is Satan. Okay, bad news is he's our enemy. Good news is he is not all-powerful. Yay. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything we think. He probably has a pretty good idea a lot of the times. Because he has watched you all your life. He's watched me all my life. He's had thousands of years of experience of watching people during their lives. So I'm sure uh, he's pretty smart. But he uses things like suggestion and innuendo and lies and plants negative thoughts about God and about church and about spouse. And he rationalizes bad behavior and reactions. He makes us think our sin is not really that bad. It's a mistake. It's 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 sin. 2 Corinthians 2.11, I've forgiven that man, Paul says, so that Satan won't outsmart us, for we are very familiar with his evil schemes. I've forgiven some he'd sinned against him. I've forgiven him because if I don't forgive him, Satan's going to have some leverage in my life. Satan is going to move in. He's going to jump one of my guys, and he's going to take that checker off the checkerboard, and then he's going to try to occupy that place on the checkerboard to be dominant Anytime we refuse to forgive someone, we fall into Satan's trap. So we have our old nature, Satan, and then we have the world, the present world system. Remember, we talked about the cosmos, including the philosophies, the movies, the advertising, the, the TVs, the, the music, the celebration, uh, celebrities, rather, all of that that's of the world that have the old world's mindset, they are against us. And all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the cosmos, of the world system. And though we live in this world, we do not wage wars, the world does, but our weapons are different. Our weapons are to have divine power to demolish strongholds and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
This idea of a stronghold is, is occupy. It's a military term to occupy that part. And, and we allow Satan and our, our old nature and the world to set up camp. And, and, and things like materialism and envy and pride and, 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 and immorality and, and drug addiction and, and, and so on. Those are things that we, we turn over. We cede control of portions of our mind to the enemy. But we are commanded to bring into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. Now, here's, let me give you an illustration based on the illustration we did with the kids. I, I specifically and purposely didn't read the text, the, the, the location of it at the beginning. I read the text, kind of explained it a little bit, and while Mrs. Bays was passing out free Slurpees to the kids, I told them the reference not once, not twice, but three times. And Henry and one little girl said they knew what the reference was. The rest of them didn't know because they got distracted. You know why? You cannot totally focus on two things at once. That's why you can't really text in a real meaningful way and drive a vehicle. Stop it. Stop it. My wife is saying amen. I know, I know, honey. I'm trying. Stop it. (laughs) Preaching on Stop it. Stop it. It is dangerous. You cannot totally focus on two things. You say, well, I can walk down the street and chew gum at the same time. You're not focusing on that. You, okay, guys, guys, listen. You, how many of you are married? Let me see your hands. How many of you are married? Okay. All right. Can you, are you able to totally be into a football game and have a meaningful conversation with your wife at the same time? <laughs> Let's move on to another point here. <clears throat> I will give you the answer to that. Nay, nix, nine, no. You cannot. Either you lose track of what's going on in the field, or you'll have no clue what your dearly beloved said to you a few moments ago. Amen. (laughs) Because you cannot totally focus on two things at once. So how do I bring into captivity every thought to be used for Christ, especially when our minds are so wired? And when, by the way, this, this seminar, uh, one click at a time, it's going to be at Graham. It's on a Friday night and a Saturday coming up. Information is on the table, and uh, Ryan's going to tell you more about it a little bit later. But uh, pornography actually changes the chemical makeup of the brain. Did you know that? And, and it is addictive, and it's highly addictive, and that's why it's such a trap for young guys, young gals, even, I mean, you know, uh, used to be just guys into that kind of stuff, and then there's a hundred million fifty shades of whatever that women bought and read. So it, it's addictive, highly addictive. But you know what? You say, "Well, it's so addictive, preacher. How can I keep those images from?" Well, when those images come into your mind, when those words come into your mind, superimpose over them a picture of your Savior being crucified. Make yourself, make your mind think about the hammer and the nails and being driven into his, his wrists and into his feet. Make yourself think about that brutal beating uh, there at the pavement, the, uh, Gabbatha, when, when, they, when they beat him with the cat of nine tails. Make yourself visualize the crowning of thorns on your Savior. Make yourself see that. Go back to, uh, to, to some, maybe some film where you saw it and, and, and you try to, you try to, you, you make that your predominant thought. And as you do, you will drive away that temptation, that other thought, because you cannot think about and focus on two things at once. And you do that enough, you know what's going to happen? 
Satan's going to come and dangle that carrot in front of you again, and, and you're going to immediately start thinking about the Lord, and pretty soon he's going to say, boy, that's not working. I'll try something else. Make, that's how you bring into captivity. Capture. The, the, the word capture, conquer, bring under control, bring it into submission. Don't let your mind rule you. You rule your mind. James says, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. Those evil desires lead to evil actions, and then the evil actions lead to death. Temptation is a process. It's not an isolated act. We, we, we will have a desire first, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Our own natural desires sometimes are, are perverted at this particular point in time. For example... God is the one who created sex. God created male and female. God intended for men and women to be married, to have children. And, and in sex in that context is a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing. So that natural inclination then becomes twisted and perverted when you think someone else can fulfill that desire or you include someone else in that, in, in that covenant relationship, thereby destroying that covenant relationship. It's taking a routine desire and turning it into a runaway drive that is not glorifying to God, and it becomes all important. It becomes all we think about. It is one step away from destruction. It becomes idolatry in our lives. So there's that desire, and then there's doubt. Did God really say in the day that we eat there, we're going to, did God really say we weren't supposed to even touch it? Did God really say that? She wasn't there. She wasn't in the garden at that point in time, but that's what Adam told her that he said. So we have desire, then we have doubt, we start questioning God then we, or God's word, uh, and then we have deception. We're lured or enticed like bait on a hook. What kind of bait does Satan use on you? You know what? He uses different bait from you than he uses on me, probably. He uses different bait uh, from me than he does you, or maybe some of our baits are the same, but I want you to know whatever the bait is, underneath the bait is a very sharp hook. He knows our weaknesses. He hides the hook. I'm not a great fisher person. I'm not. I'm not but, but my dad used to tell me, you've got to cover the hook with the worm. I'm thinking, why? Fish are dumb. No, you've got to cover the hook with the worm. I guess they're not as dumb as I thought. And so the deception here was you're going to be like God. If you go ahead and eat of this fruit, you're going to become like God. You'll have the knowledge of God. Temptation always looks better than the actual sin. Think about that when you're watching ads on television and and they're advertising things that are going to cause you a lot of grief and a lot of heartache and a lot of problems. They always make it look fun. And it doesn't have to be an ad. It can be a movie plot. It can be something and, and some steamy romance scene where in some inappropriate, immoral relationship. And you're thinking, whoa, wow, that's hot. It always seems a lot better than it really is because God will make sure, if you're a child of God, that the negatives outweigh the positives, if there are any positives at all. I think it was one of the first... Mm, I've, I've only been through Las Vegas a few times. It may have been one, first or second time. We went through in the, in the, we went through one time and it was night and lights were everywhere and I could, and you know, it was just like, it was, wow, you know, this is pretty incredible. Good grief. Wow. Look at, and then I went through in the daytime 
and we, were, we had been driving a long time, and I think it was either there or that other place that has gambling that I don't know the name of. Somebody knows? <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> the chaplain, okay. Yes, I... <laughs> Yes, Father, forgive you. You have sinned. Okay. All right. Look, in the daylight, it was disgusting, in my opinion. The lights did nothing. There were people staggering around, literally. People who had been up all night losing everything. It was sad to me. And we had been driving a long time. I didn't want to stay. I didn't want, in fact, we drove, if I remember correctly, Pat, we drove on to uh, another area uh, further away that didn't have as many motels to choose from because it just felt oppressive to me. Imagine if we could see the price tag, the real price tag for our sin. The real price tag of that one-night fling when you're overseas Nobody's going to know about it. Nobody else is there. Nobody else except for God. Because he's everywhere. And then the last step is disobedience and defeat. Now it's full-fledged sin. The thought has become reality, an act of rebellion, a wicked sin, the distortion of what God intended. Another way of saying this little process here is attention, gets your attention, attitude, your attitude changes, action, you act on that attitude, and that's the danger of fantasizing or thinking about sin. Okay, guys, let's be real, okay? Let's be real. God wired us differently than our wives. He wired us in a way that to see something is sometimes pretty interesting and pretty exciting. Just seeing. So I always told guys, I hope I'm right on this. The first look, you're driving down. The second look is sin. You don't necessarily know the first time, but the second look, third look, fourth look, fifth look, I mean, you're way, you know, you're getting on down the road. I'm just saying, fantasizing is not a good thing to do because the battle starts up here and the, the actions that come out are started as thoughts up here in our cranium. We're free to choose, but we're not free from the consequences of our choices. The best time to win a battle is before it happens, not in the moment. And when I was a youth director, youth pastor, this may be too hard for some of you adults, but kids always got it. Don't decide what you're going to do in the backseat of a car when you're in the backseat of a car. Decide what you're going to do before you get in and don't get in the backseat of a car. You'll have to get your teenagers to explain that to you. Psalm 119, verse 112 says, I have made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. Daniel purposed in his heart. He made that, he wasn't tempted right then. He decided, I don't want to even eat what they're eating. I don't want to drink what they're drinking. I'm going to... I'm going to be what God wants me to be no matter what, no matter what cost it is, Uh, den of lions, uh, fiery furnace, it doesn't matter. I'm going to trust God. I had a great preacher who influenced me a lot who said, I had this on a plaque, in fact, in my office at one time, make no provision for failure. Don't have a plan B. Was it Cortez who burned the ships when they landed? So there was no way back. 
Let's be like Cortez. The only way with serving God is forward. Make no provision for failure. If you, if you have moral failure, if you have some kind of issues in your life and, and going by certain places in town or hanging out with certain people kind of accentuates all that, quit hanging out with them. Quit going by them. Don't go the same way home. Don't go by that house where you used to stop and, and, and things used to happen. Don't, don't do that. Uh, make some changes. I'm, we're talking about radical transformation. Determine your standards when you're not in the heat of mental or spiritual battle. So I've gone too long. Let me just finish up with this one point. Feed your mind with truth. Free your mind from destructive thoughts. Third thing, last thing is focus my mind on the right things. Focus our minds on, think about Jesus, his crucifixion. Already talked about that. The very things that he did for us. You say, is that scriptural? Well, Timothy said, keep your mind, or Paul said to Timothy, keep your mind on Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.8. And the author of Hebrews said, think about Jesus' example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. Do not get tired and stop trying. Think about Christ. Think about others. Philippians 2, 4, don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. Hebrews 10, 24, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. Do you know that hosts of people are watching your every move. Lots of people. We've had, we've had fun the last five and a half months. Um, one of my daughters and her husband and their house had some mold issues, so they went through mold remediation. So five and a half months, they and their three year, two and a half year old have lived with us. It's been a blast. Parts of it have been a blast. <laughs> Lots of parts of it. And particularly with Max there. And you know what? He watches everything. And he says everything <laughs> that you say. So I had to caution Pat. To... People are why it may not be your grandson, maybe your son, maybe your daughter, maybe your neighbor, maybe someone at work. They're watching you. Think about them. Because when you crash and burn, you don't just take yourself down, you take a whole bunch of other people down with you. Preachers particularly. You you could name everybody here knows a pastor who messed up. Everybody knows a pastor of two or three or four or five. And and you know what? Out of how many hundred thousands or I don't know how many pastors there are in the United States. I have no idea. But out of however many, all it takes is four or five to make you think that's the way pastors are. Or Christians. Well, I knew this Christian. Boy, she wasn't much. I, I knew this Christian. He, he cussed like a sailor. Pardon me, sailors. Uh, people are watching us. Think about the Lord. Think about others around you. And then last of all, think about eternity. Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, let heaven... Fill your thoughts. Let heaven fill your thoughts. You know, you know I, I take that to mean literally, think about heaven. Think about what it's going to be like. I, some guys, some guys, oh, preacher, if all we're going to do is sit on a cloud and play a harp, I ain't signing up. <laughs> Where does it say that's what we're going to do in heaven, sit on a cloud and play a harp? 
That doesn't excite me either. I don't know what we're going to do, but I know one thing. God never disappoints me, and God never lets me down, and God's got some great plans, and it's going to be so much better than the other place. Uh, Now, I will be clear. If it came down to playing a harp and sitting on a cloud or going to hell, I would rather play whatever songs they want me to play for eternity than go to the other place. But I just believe God in his infinite wisdom and God in his creative abilities and God in his adventuresome spirit has some great things planned for us in heaven. Incredible things planned for us in heaven. Think about eternity. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things here on earth. Oh, man, the tax bill's coming due. November what? 5th, 10th? Tax bills coming due. Oh, I got to pay tax bill. Oh, I got got income tax to file before you know it. Oh, we got uh, work. We got these problems. Oh, just, oh, don't just think about heaven a little bit. Think about streets of gold, gates of pearl. Think about trees lined up with the healing leaves of the he, uh, healing for the nations. Think about everybody living together and singing kumbaya and getting along. And th- think about think about all that. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. Mental health, radical transformation, feed on the word, read it every day. Free your mind from destructive thoughts. Don't fall into the traps of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Last of all, focus on the right things which is Jesus, others, and heaven. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that I haven't twisted, turned anything the wrong way other than what you meant. And if I did, that you would give wisdom to people to know better. I pray, God, that you would help everyone here to desire to be healthy, not only physically and spiritually, but mentally. I pray, God, because you are the great physician and because Philippians chapters 2, 3, and 4 are such awesome psychiatry, psychiatric principles that, Lord, you would give health and healing, that we'd think about the right kind of things, that we would excise from our minds the wrong kinds of things, and that, God, you would give us great victories. I pray, Lord, you deliver people from things that are trapping them, whether it's because of the world, because of the flesh, because of the devil. I pray that, God, you would give us victory, not so we can say, look at us, look at what we have done, so we can rather say, look what Jesus did for us. Look how he delivered us. Look where we used to be and how we used to do things and how we do them now. The, the way that we used to speak and the way that we speak now, the places we used to go and the places we go now the things that used to be important to us, the things that are important to us now. God radically changed lives. I pray if there's someone here who's not saved, not sure that if they died, they'd go to heaven today. I pray, God, they'd understand that there's only one way to heaven. It's not through a presidential candidate. There's only one way through heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who said no man comes to the Father but by him. 
And I pray, Lord, for Christians who are tormented because of their thought life, that you would give them victory today. Lord, I pray we would lay our thoughts at your feet, our, our, our temptations at your feet, our doubts and deceptions at your feet. That, Lord, you would give, as we sang a little while ago, that you would give us victory in Jesus today. And we'll give you the credit and the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.